This is Uniquely Milwaukee. It's everything you love about community stories, but more in depth. Giving the stories the time and attention they deserve. Changing perspective one episode at a time. I'm your host, Salam Fathayed, and this is Uniquely Milwaukee. Stories that stick with you. We are wrapping up with the month of April, which means that this will be the last episode for our April body image series. It's going to be a long one, so sit back and get comfortable. You know, when pitching this project, we thought really hard on how we wanted the entire series to flow. Each episode needed to be its own standalone, but it also needed to fit within the entire greater theme. When it came to wrap up the series, We knew we wanted to play on the concept of leaving no one behind and speaking with folks living with disabilities. Also on this episode, just like the ones that came before, Hyphen's Element Everest Blanks will be joining us for reflection after we hear from our guests. Some of those negative stereotypes portray disabled people as tragic but brave, laughable, aggressive, burden and outcast and incapable of fully participating in everyday life. But we know that these stereotypes are not true. So just like every episode that came before this one, we start the conversation the same way. To lead this episode, I'm speaking with Sergio Munez. Right now in this moment, this year, how do you feel inside your body? Um. I feel pretty comfortable, actually. Uh, I feel pretty good. I've always been pretty active. So in regards to feeling and my health, I think that's the most important part. Yeah. So I I feel pretty good. I love that. Have you always felt that way or did that become like kind of a journey to get this moment of being comfortable? No, I think more recently it's just been more as I I get a little older, I'm starting to be more conscious about my health, Mm -hmm. uh, what I consume and whatnot, just to give my body longevity. But before that, I... uh, since I've always just had a natural slim body, I've never really been too focused on my image. So I've never been overweight or anything like that. So um, I've never really thought about it, honestly. Sanhagel's conversation continued like this for a short while. He was speaking about his comfortability in his skin, working on being a bit healthier. He is 34 years old. He's over six feet tall. And he feels like he's in a really good place when it comes to his body. And throughout this entire conversation until this point, he never brought up that he is a wheelchair user after being in an accident at the age of 18. But his disability was never brought up until we talked about media and representation. I'm like a a double minority, I guess. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm Latino and and in a wheelchair. So that's, uh, it gets harder, it gets tougher to get represented in that regard. Yeah. And I think it's becoming more acceptable, though, to, to have brown people and to, you know, I think we're just, we're, we're crossing the threshold of actually having more and more representation mm-hmm. and be more aware, more conscious about who we put up on the screen. Right, yeah. You brought up, you know, that there is, like, aspects of you as being a brown man, as being disabled. Has that kind of shifted your perception of yourself or even, have you ever felt judged by that? Yeah, actually, um... It's interesting how people look at me. I think, I mean, not in regards to my body, but just like when they see the wheelchair, mm-hmm. uh, they just, they just all these assumptions come to mind when people like just kind of first interact with me. And it's interesting to navigate. Yeah. <laughs> that's for sure. And I think, I think, um, 
people don't recognize or don't realize. Because, I mean, they see me in a chair and they see me as uh, I don't know. I don't, I'm not. I'm not sure how they see me, but yeah. uh, but I, I've, I've felt uh, people's attitudes and I felt people's behaviors around me when uh, like I'm six three. You mm-hmm. know, like if I stand up, I'm taller than almost everybody. Yeah, you know, <laughs> you know so. I don't think people recognize that, and so they don't they don't see me like that. They just kind of, I mean, they see the chair, so it's like I'm four six to mm-hmm. them, you know. <laughs> so it's yeah, it's interesting. Like that, that changes people's demeanor, that, right? For sure. Do you think you're treated differently because of it? Because of the height? Because I think height is a big thing within like male culture. Yes. In what way, from someone that's not in that world? Yes, it's uh, it's very differently. Um, it's kind of like, you know, how they have those studies where, you know, most CEOs are over six foot tall. Sergio's talking about the luck bluff, referring to when Canadian journalist Malcolm Gladwell noting a seemingly bizarre fact about his work with the Fortune 500 leaders. He said, in the U.S. population, about 14.5% of all men are six feet or taller. Among CEOs of Fortune 500 companies, that number is 58%. It's almost like they're giving more respect, yeah. you know, which is like in a subtle way, but people just kind of like literally look up to you, right? So they just, your authority, you know, mm-hmm. you're able to project your authority, uh, you know, in those things uh, way easier. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, actually being in the chair, it says I'm, I'm, I'm a waist level to everybody. I just feel like I got to be more aggressive with, with how I approach things and make right. sure that I'm heard. And, you know, um, if I'm standing, I... Uh, I don't got to speak too loud. You mm-hmm. know, people listen. And if I'm, you know, I'm sitting down right here, I got to speak louder to make sure like, hey, I'm, I'm here talking. You right. Know, so. And also the world is built for abled bodies. There's no space for that, at least for disability folks. Like we don't really think about that as much if this is yeah. a place that's accessible or just, I don't know, just like inclusive. Yeah, it's just most people think, I mean, as we do more equity and uh, inclusion uh, practices and, you know, we bring that more to the work that we do. But really the diversity, I think people with disabilities get put last mm-hmm. uh, as far as uh, inclusion goes. We're like, yeah, you know, we have a diversity of staff, but, you know, there's a set of stairs that this person can't get in there with, you know. Yeah. So I think we're like the minority of the minorities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're, we're just making progress to to become inclusive. So we're like at the, at the top tier of inclusive mm-hmm. and we're like at the bottom of that. So it's like people don't get to us until like, because mm-hmm. you know, you'll, you'll meet people of color way before you meet somebody in a wheelchair. Yeah. You know, or before you need an elevator or before you mm-hmm. need assistance and stuff like that. So it's a very small minority. Um, For sure. You know, but but it's it's important to, to acknowledge that there's a lot of people out there that are, you know, living uh, thriving lives and having careers and, uh, you know, go up and down and they're very independent and uh, have their own lives and. And if this inclusion isn't isn't expanded to to accessibility, um, then that's that's a problem for a lot of people. For yeah, me, for me uh, personally speaking. So you you brought up the word independent, and I think a lot of times that and I know this is can be problematic, but there's this idea that a male is a sole caretaker and doesn't need any help or anything like that. When people look at you in a wheelchair, um, in face value as quote unquote disabled, does that play in that role of your perception of self? Um, I don't want to say like less than, but people think of you as someone that like can't do something because of that. People actually, people do see me as yeah. less than. Um, I think I've learned over the years because I've been in a wheelchair since 2007. I grew up, you know, like uh, in the south side of Milwaukee, so uh, you know, street culture, or whatever, and uh, that that cult, that particular culture is very macho, right? Mm-hmm. Very masculine, where you have to be a tough guy, and uh, 
I've had to I've had to shift my mindset as far as uh, and how I see myself as a as a man, and making sure that my masculinity I'm comfortable with my masculinity because I can't do certain things that all my other peers can do can do mm-hmm. still you know like I can't go do a roof job or do this or do that, and a lot of things people have that perception of masculinity as that as being strong and being able to lift something and being able to you know like just to be you know, do do that kind of yeah. project. So, so I've I've had to really like reshift my focus on how I feel as a man and how I project my masculinity, uh, and making sure that um, I'm not affected by people's perception of that mm-hmm. because they do, they do have a lot of assumptions. So they will, they will believe like they assume that you do need help for every little thing mm-hmm. uh, because. It's, I don't think it's like well, not necessarily in a bad way where they see you as less than, but they just like even when they're trying to be helpful right right good intentions mm-hmm. um they instead just, of asking yeah, they do exactly. it yeah I get they that. assume things right yeah. where i'm just like uh if i'm getting inside my truck in my car you know i do it all the time like i've been driving for since 2007 or whatever in a wheelchair so to me it's second nature now you mm-hmm. know i just i don't even think of it um but if somebody like i'm getting in taking my time or being comfortable when somebody rushes to me and like picks up my chair and yeah. like, here i'll help you and i'm like bro you're more in the way than actually helping right me. so you and i think it's because they're a little bit more uncomfortable seeing it just, I think so. Yeah, I think so. Um, and I think it's, it's it's normalizing it, and I think it's just having like the, you know, just trying to do like a good deed. So I've always made sure that I I, I make sure I set boundaries and, and you know just do things on my own. Honestly, I don't I don't really like asking for help anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so so I've always I've always been very independent since I was a kid. Anyway, my mom gets mad because even I don't don't let her you know do things and but she's like you know you're my son yeah i gotta right. do these things for i'm like mom good don't you we'll always be their kids yeah no matter how old we get how exactly. old were you in 2007 i was 18 okay that's such a tender age to have that shift um uh, yes can you recall your headspace at that time uh there was a lot going on in my life it was uh that was a very traumatic experience so Feel free that. to share or redact however you, you're more comfortable bringing in. By sure. The way. I mean, as far as the situation, that was, uh, I had just graduated high school 10 days after I graduated high school. Mm-hmm. Um, so then, you know, this this accident happened where it just, it just reshifted my whole focus on who I was as a person mm-hmm. uh, because suddenly, like, my whole world shifted and I knew that I was going to have to do everything very differently. Um, yeah. So that, that was very... Uh, it was very tough to navigate, trying to get through. And you, you mentioned a little bit you were more like athletic and in sports as a young person yeah. too. Was that part of your identity as well? And you had to find either new friends or new hobbies or a new lifestyle? Yes, I did, definitely. Um, yeah, because I, uh, well now, I mean, now I'm active. I play wheelchair basketball. I do, you know, water skiing. I do, I do it all now. Uh, anything I can get my hands on. But during that time, I wasn't too... Too familiar, I guess, with the community because there was wheelchair basketball and stuff like that, but I just wasn't aware of it. So that yeah, that that really affected like how how I saw myself and how yeah. I, how I navigate, how I did things. Because I, I you know I played soccer, I used to box, I baseball, just anything mm-hmm. anything that I could. That was a major part of my identity actually. What do you love about your body? Oh. Um, I think, let me see, that's a tough question. It's a very tough, you, you think, think it's, wouldn't it be tough, but yeah. 
I think I've thought about it uh, like that before. Uh, I think what I love most about my body is uh, is resilience. Mm-hmm. I've put it through a lot of struggle and a lot of uh, just a lot of activity. Um, you know that uh, the average person, what I feel, would be worn down by now. Mm-hmm. I've never had any like it's always it's always kept up with me, like with where, where my mind is and what I'm trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's always it's never let me down. Yeah, that's, I think that's what I love about it most. Oh my goodness, it was so intense. You know, he reminds me of the reason that you know I think people people like my daughter who is on the autism spectrum who is proudly on the autism spectrum she thinks exactly the way we need people to think in Mm -hmm. the future she worked with her school to redesign the playground and one of the things that she really pushed for was diversity areas to play Mm -hmm. she pushed for areas for children during ramadan where they can go outside and just like socialize and have so she she has neurodiversity in that way, but she thinks about people with physical disabilities just as much as she thinks about people who are neurodiverse. Yeah. And he brought up a bunch of emotions for me listening to it that reminds me of things my daughter would say, Mm -hmm. because you don't really know what you don't know until you are in a position where you have to think about the very little things. Um, And when we take care of people with disabilities, physical and neurodiverse abilities. We take care of us because mm-hmm. I worked at a location for individuals with physical and diverse ways of thinking. And the one thing that they taught us the first day is people with disabilities is the one community that you can join anytime and any mm-hmm. day. Something could happen and you can be a part of this community. So when you take care of people with disabilities, you're really taking care of everybody. It's such an interesting way of thinking about that. Yeah, that's that's so true because anything can happen. And we all take advantage of, oh, for of sure. things. We, we all take the elevators, right, or mm-hmm. the escalators, and we don't think about it, but it wasn't designed for us. Mm-hmm. But we benefit as a community sure. from those things. Yeah, Sergio comes from a advocacy background, so I loved that he brought up inclusion and mm-hmm. accessibility in spaces. That it's, it's a reminder that I think we all need because you're absolutely right. We benefit from all of them. Absolutely. Sergio joined the disabled community at the age of 18. But for Emily Cadman, as a person with cerebral palsy, she was born with a disability. She came in with her service dog, first time having a dog in the studio for me. And she's also a recent Milwaukee transplant and living on her own for the first time at the age of 26. Here's our conversation. As a 26-year-old Emily, right now, this year, how do you feel in your body? Um, so I recently moved into Milwaukee and since then, as far as like healthy eating and exercising goes, Mm -hmm. I don't feel where the best or where I should be. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think once the weather warms up, I'll be able to move a lot more and do a lot more things. So um, I have cerebral palsy, so I am in a wheelchair. I have a physical disability. So definitely 
body image is very important and it's very different as a wheelchair user, I think. Mm-hmm. You said you just moved to Milwaukee. How, when was that? Was it this year or a little a little later of last year? In December. Okay, so, so. there's a fresh move. Yes. Yeah, I get that. Is this the first time like living on your own and such as well? Yes. Oh, uh, my heart goes out to you. I remember that first year. It could be a very difficult, but sometimes even beautiful transition. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's finding kind of what works for you and your schedule and like figuring out when to exercise and like oh crap I have to make something for dinner and yeah. like, I actually have to pull it out out of the freezer and like yeah the res- responsibility lies on us which uh sometimes yeah. is great because you can eat whatever you want or do whatever you want yep. but then also it's you're in charge of taking care of yourself in that way yeah. so you mentioned do you know that spring is coming and that's where you move your body a little bit more is that do you think that's when you feel like yourself a bit more during the seasons are you someone that during the winter and fall, you're a little disconnected. I, in the winter, like, I can't really get outside mm. um, because depending on the snow, um, my wheelchair doesn't go through mm. snow very easily. And I have caregivers that help me, like, exercise and walk. So it depends on, like, their schedule mm-hmm. when they can get me up and moving. And then on top of, like, working 40 hours a week and making sure, like, my schedule is where I want it to be. So I think it can be a little bit challenging that way, mm-hmm. but you have to make time for it and it has to be a priority. Where did you move from to Milwaukee? So I grew up in the Lake Geneva area. Um, so I was very out in the country. Do you feel like out in the country you had a bit more freedom with movement compared to like in the city of Milwaukee? Is Milwaukee accessible to you? Yeah, I think Milwaukee is more accessible in terms of, like, being able to go wherever, whenever. I can just, like, hop a bus or walk anywhere. But as far as living, like, in a more rural area, I feel like I had to work a little bit harder to be able to move and to exercise that way. Because I would have to, like go to the high school track and walk around the track or bike around the track right as far as like my physical therapy as part of my exercise and my movement I had physical therapy like three times a week Mm -hmm. when I was at home so that way I was moving a lot more I was eating a little bit more healthier because I still lived with my parents and my mom was making all my meals and stuff so You mentioned a little earlier that body image is really important to you. How would you describe your relationship with your body and body image? So that's an interesting question because it depends on the day. There's certain things that like some days I can do, some days I can't do. So like for an example, um, with my transfers and things, there's Mm -hmm. some things that I don't need assistance with and it's like oh I can I can move I can my feet work the way I want it to my body moves the way I want it to my hand can actually grab a hold of something and move the way I want it to Mm -hmm. and then there's other times that I'm like yeah that's not gonna happen today yeah so in that way it kind of it kind of depends on the day but I'd say in general I'd say my body image is I wouldn't say it's great I wouldn't say I feel great all the time but I feel better than I did like in high school Mm. how I saw myself in high school is way different um than I do now 
in terms of like body image and how I see myself. Right. So what changed for you from high school to now adulthood? I think it's just growing up because I don't move a lot. I'm a heavier set person, mm-hmm. not real heavy, but I'm a heavier set person. And so when I was in high school, I was like, oh, I'm not the skinny girl. I can't wear, you know, size extra small clothes. Mm-hmm. And so for that, like shopping for clothes and shopping for cute outfits in high school was really difficult because it's like, oh, that's cute. Oh, they don't have a large Or, oh, that's cute. They don't have a medium. Or even, like, I sit all the time. So, like, my clothes ride up. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, I have to make sure I wear leggings a lot because I don't want anything to show or stick out. So, but now I'd say it's more about, like, this is my body. This is the tool that I get to use to live and I need to take care of my body because it's the only one I have. Yeah, it's a beautiful Um, sentiment that you got there. mm -hmm. It's something that I struggle with too. There's so many pressures from different avenues, whether it's your classmates or um, media, magazines, everything that we think we're supposed to look like. So I'm really happy that you got to a place where, you know, you want to take care of your body. And then I think it's part of, like, the wheelchair, like, the disability culture, too. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, if I don't look a certain way, like, no one's going to like me. Or, like, I have this chair. I'm sitting in this chair. I have wheels under my butt. And, like, that's already something that kind of people look at funny. Yeah. Or not funny, but differently. So, like, if you're not skinny, if you don't look the part, like, I felt like, oh, no one's going to like me or, like, I'm not going to have all the friends or I'm not going to be in a relationship or anything mm-hmm. like that just because I'm different, but I'm way past that now. Did you feel so. like you had to like overcompensate on things because of that? Kind of. I'm a very open person. So to my friends, I I would just kind of, I have a very good sense of humor. So I would just kind of <laughs> like make jokes or play it off. But in the back of my mind, it would always be like, oh, no one's going to want to be with the girl in the wheelchair or I don't look a certain way. And in high school, that as you're growing up, you're like, oh, I want to do this. I want to mm-hmm. fit in. I want to be a part of something. And as you grow older, I think your ideas of that change. And you're kind of like, okay, I love my body. I This is the body I was given. Yeah, sometimes it doesn't work the way I want it to. My muscles are tight. My caregivers have to put my feet back on my foot plates like 25 times a day because they just kick out. And so I'm like, you know what? This is what this is. Yeah. And we're just going to we're going to go with it. And I think it's more of like making sure you feel good. So it's not just like how you look, but if you feel good in your body and if you exercise and like you feel confident, I think that's a lot better. I think that's a switch that I had probably two or three years ago because I was moving a lot, I was eating healthier, and I was like, you know what, it's not about how I necessarily look. Yes, it's important to feel healthy and, like, confident, but it's not about, like, what clothes I can fit Mm -hmm. into or who's going to like me or what opportunities are going to come to me because I'm skinnier or look a certain way. 
What is your favorite part about your body? That's an interesting question. I've never, never been asked that before. I really like that. So I kind of make a joke because my right hand is affected. So sometimes like my hand will just twitch or my hand will do something and I'll be like, oh, okay, well, that had a mind of its own. Like, <laughs> some things it's like, oh, my body has a mind of its own today. I didn't mean to do that, but it happened. So like sometimes I'll hit a, like my body will twitch and I'll send an email I didn't mean to send because I hit the send <laughs> yeah. button too early or like I'll hit a button on my computer and it's like, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to send that. So I think just like the unexpectancy yeah, of it. The mystery of what will happen. <laughs> I mean, it always, there's a downside to that too, but I think that's kind of exciting because I'm like, um, well, it happens. Okay. Yep. Like, moving on. Alrighty. <laughs> I loved Emily. She was so great. She's 26 <laughs> years old. She lives near here, the station. We talked a little bit about country music and such. Mm -hmm. I loved her answer that her hand was her favorite part of her body. <laughs> that was very unexpected. But what are your thoughts after listening to this segment? Oh, my gosh. Think about the challenge of being in a new place mm. and a new space. And it seemed like, to me, honestly, it seemed like she, I can't say it on the radio, but she's a baddie, right? She's, she's a baddie. Yes. She really is. I she, agree. <laughs> she decided, you know, I'm going to move into a place. I'm going to move to a location that's more accessible. I want to take over. I want to. She's a city girl. Yes, love she's it. a city girl. <laughs> she is a city girl. And I love it because it shows a different version of a baddie, right? I think she is a perfect example of what people don't understand about individuals with physical disabilities. That doesn't change the fact that they are hot or the fact that mm -hmm. they're they're like innovative or creative or inventors, like all of these great things that don't get assigned to people with disabilities are there. And we miss out when yeah, we look at them as less than. And I she's a perfect agree. example. Yeah. For me, uh, what I really related to her was when she talked about her relationship with her body right now, but in comparison to her relationship with her body in high school, she took me back to that. Mm -hmm. And there's so many pressures from your peers and how the world wants a teenage girl to look like. And it just, she was so vulnerable with it. When she was talking, I honestly, like, as we all do, we think about ourselves, mm -hmm. we relate to ourselves. And I was like, oh yeah, I felt that way. While both Emily and Sergio have physical disabilities, there exists a notion of judging and concluding what a person can or cannot do by the way they look. This makes it essential to understand that how a person appears to be may not always reflect the disability the person might be living with. Because not every disability is visible. Sometimes they are developmental, behavioral, or emotional. But in the case of our next guest, it's neurological. Like it was a moment in a movie where it's like, I'm on the phone with the doctor and I just hear Charlie Brown voices. I don't hear anything that woman said after she said you have Parkinson's. Yeah. Support for 88.9 comes from your membership and the Greater Milwaukee Foundation. Through the Greater Together campaign, the foundation and community work together to build a thriving Milwaukee for all. Partnership ideas at greatermilwaukeefoundation.org. Hey Milwaukee, it's Uniquely Milwaukee's host, Salam Fatayed, inviting you to join us at Milwaukee Artist Resource Network in the Third Ward on Friday, April 28th for a pop-up exhibition about our topic for the month, body image. 
The evening event is open to the public and will include an exhibition of portraits of our podcast guests and community conversation around all things bodies. Attendees are also invited to participate in the project by getting their portrait taken at the event. For more information and to RSVP, visit RadioMilwaukee.org. Our final guest for April's Body Image Month is Jordan Spencer Lee. And if you're a longtime listener of Radio Milwaukee, you might know him because Jordan is part of this community and has really centered supporting and uplifting Milwaukee musicians with his previous role as our program director and beyond. He is a husband, a friend, a father, a mentor, a musician, a turntablist, and he is also someone that's living with Parkinson's. So before we even get to the journey of like Parkinson's, just like tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, sure. Um, so, you know, I've lived in Milwaukee my entire adult life. I was born and raised in Kenosha. So southeastern Wisconsin the whole life. You know, I guess if I had to define myself in like simple terms, it would be like as a creative, right? Because yeah. music is like my music and theater were like my childhood passions. And then with theater, that's what kind of translated into radio later in my mm-hmm. life. And then, you know, even in the current situation of like events and hosting, you know, like yeah. that's the theater side of me. And then the music side of me, I, you know, I started playing drums when I was like four. I just never stopped playing music. And so my aspirations were to be a professional musician, yeah. got a job here in this building and, uh, you know, made it my work to, you know, help and support local musicians. Mm-hmm. But came back to music, stayed with music, but really came back to it a lot now in, in my 40s where I'm like prioritizing music yeah unlike ever before i did not know you had a theater background this is yeah. making me yeah. see yeah, 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 you were yeah. like a theater kid that's oh, super yeah. cool i actually declined a scholarship to uw whitewater mm-hmm. for theater oh wow okay um because i had known by that point i was like if i have to take a path of music to theater i'm mm-hmm. going the music route so i only moved to milwaukee because i wanted to get into the the scene here every person i interviewed for this series i asked them the same question to start off and is how do you feel right now in your body? I I feel like my body and I have an adversarial relationship, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. If I'm being very, very honest with you, like I, I, I get mad at my body regularly. Was that always a journey or is it just very recent? No, 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 yeah. no. So, I mean, I don't want to bury the lead, but yeah. I was diagnosed with Parkinson's at 39. Mm. which is very, very early. And it was a couple of years of experiencing symptoms, but thinking they were something else. Yeah. So while the symptoms were happening, and again, the the, the smallest symptoms were a a tremor in my hand when I would do certain motions, like folding a t-shirt. That was the first trigger. I was like, every time I fold the t-shirt, my hands shake a little bit. You know, thought it was a pinched nerve, thought it was overuse because I've been a scratch DJ my whole life. Mm Mm-hmm. I was like, you know, you use your right hand aggressively. Maybe you're just tendons are yeah. burned out. So it took me years to get the diagnosis. So probably 35, 6, I started getting symptoms. Yeah. 39, I'm diagnosed. And by 39, it got to this point where, like, there was multiple symptoms. So I was like, okay, this isn't just yeah. my hands shaking. So, yeah, now I'm at this point where it's like I get mad at my body for, like, my mind says, do this thing and my mm-hmm. body like 
can't do it or it's not that it can't it's that it just doesn't do it as like quickly and efficiently as or I like want how to. you're used to like it's right. something you're not like really thinking about and then yeah. there's this like blockage yeah right. yeah so like going to get your keys out of your pocket like you do that all the time yeah. like that's hard for me to do and then so eventually you start to just say well I'm just not going to use that hand which is exactly what I shouldn't be doing and then the solutions to this problems are to be very physical and be, you know, the, 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 they say the silver bullet for Parkinson's is exercise. But yet when you're doing exercise, you're constantly looking in the mirror physically about how unable you are to do regular things. Yeah. Thank you for providing this insight and being vulnerable with me, yeah. Jordan. Yeah, yeah. So when you were getting this diagnosis, was this something that you were scared of? Like, did you have a gut feeling or did it like kind of shock you? I probably knew that this is the way it was before they told me, but I wouldn't admit it. And then mm -hmm. the day I got the diagnosis, I'll never forget because we were on vacation. So it's like this year, not in your home. I was staying with close friends who luckily were close enough to them where I could have like kind of the emotional processing in that first 24 hours. But um, yeah, it was. And again, going back to my theater drama kid stuff, like it was a moment in a movie where it's like, yeah, the, I'm on the phone with the doctor and I just hear Charlie Brown voices. Mm -hmm. I don't hear anything that woman said after she said you have Parkinson's. Yeah. It was just blah, 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 blah. And I felt like uh, Alfred Hitchcock movie where they're zooming in and mm -hmm. zooming out at the same time. You <laughs> yeah, know, your reaction. Right. Yeah. And the whole world felt like it was like fading away and closing in on me at the same time. And I just heard like white noise and I couldn't believe it. But then, you know, that's the initial shock. And then, you know, there's no woe is me anymore. But now the day to day is like as we're sitting here, for example, I have like pain in my joints all the time. Right. So so that's just pardon my French, but it's just effing annoying. You know, it's just yeah. like I don't want to feel that pain. And again, exercise is the, the number one tool I have to alleviate that. But it's. Again, going back to that adversarial, I feel like, oh, mm -hmm. I get mad at my body. There's a word that I feel like people always use when people talk about these things, and yeah. that's inspiring. Oh, sure. you inspire me. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of people with disabilities hear that because of how resilient you are. And yeah. overall, I don't think someone calling you inspiring can be insulting. But do you feel like, do you find it that way? I mean, okay, so like, I, I'll be honest with you, Islam. I haven't run into that yet because yeah. I think I just don't share this. I'm, I'm very quiet about it. Mm -hmm. Um because of a number of reasons to be really honest there's there's shame at one level and i'm getting over that just figuring it out the next level is like being put in boxes no one wants to be put in boxes right so as a biracial kid in america i've already lived in enough boxes i don't want to be in a box within the box mm -hmm. um that's kind of the way i'm looking at it so like the box also is very undefined by people it's not like i have um something that everyone's used to like uh i can't even say that there's not used to it's just like it's there's it's a lot of visible there's a lot of yeah. ignorance right right yeah. so like if outside of michael j fox no one can really understand what parkinson's is there's not like a, a normalized like oh yeah yeah you know all these people have parkinson's so that in itself is just a that's a tricky place i just choose not to go so i don't know if anyone's said anything positive to me about how i'm navigating through this because I think there's a deep level of like I'm not very outgoing and then mm -hmm. I'm only I'm only like sharing it with people who I have a deeper level of trust with right 
And then here's the other layer to that is like some of the people who I'm not like family with, who I do trust that know, then the approach to it is like, oh, how are you doing? Yeah. And I'm like, come on, man. Like, I don't want to have that conversation in any situation, right? Like if I went into debt or if I lost a family member Mm -hmm. or if I, you know, lost a game, I don't want, oh, how are you doing? You know, like no one likes to be talked to like that. (laughs) So like you can't even have a normal conversation because now that's that's the first thing you think about. And then when people like even today coming back in the office, people are like, how how are you doing? And I say the same. Yeah. Because what that the, the truth of that is, is like, yeah, I'm the same as I was last time you saw me. I'm still me. I'm not going to casually over water cooler talk get into the physical depths of my symptoms. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm not going to tell you about those things because it's like it's just too intimate. You're dealing with change and adaptation. Yeah. Like what is something that you feel like? Like, do you feel like you have it covered and it's just like, you know, it's this, like you're struggling with it or is it something that you're like, it's still mind over matter? OK, so. I'm sorry, I'm going to kind of kind of answer the question. No, no, I, you answer how you. But, <laughs> but like what I'm going through is like I, I used to say this in my life is like this. The philosophy of taekwondoing something, which is a word I made up, I guess. But like you take the energy, someone's coming to hit you and you like take their energy and you redirect it so they can't hit you. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I like to take things that come at me and redirect them into a positive space. So like this for me has opened up great health habits for me mentally, physically. Great relationships have formed because of this situation. Mm-hmm. I've developed healthy new habits, mm-hmm. uh, my Tai Chi practice, my appreciation of exercise outdoors, like these things that I didn't really do in my 30s now in my 40s have been like robust. Yeah. So that to me is the focus I put on all of mm-hmm. this is like, OK, because if we want to talk about the other side of the bad stuff, I could tell you all the things that have gotten worse and how much harder it's gotten. And uh, that's not a good place for me to be. And really, it's not a good place for you to be as a friend either. Like, I don't need to put all that out there because that's the truth is like everybody's got that stuff, whatever that stuff is. Right. Yeah. So, like, I'd rather just focus on like, okay, the good things that have come out of this are this as opposed to like, oh, I can't do blank anymore Mm -hmm. because there are there are things I've lost. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I've lost the ability to do. I mean, again. I define myself musically as a turntablist. Mm-hmm. I can't do three fourths of the moves I used to be able to do, maybe more like yeah. of the technical, you know, it's like if I was a violinist, I would also not be able to do that. If I was a pianist, I would also mm-hmm. not be able to do that. Not to say that there's no path towards rediscovering a way to do it. I'm saying the way I did it before. Yeah. I'm not saying I can't do it. And I still do it. I'm just about to put another record out, you know, like I'm working on making. Yeah, I saw on Instagram that you also were, uh, you're doing like events and like DJing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're out there. I'm not letting any of this stop me being me, but like I can't do a, 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 (laughs) I'll get some scratch technical stuff here. I can't do a three click flare anymore. Mm-hmm. And anybody knows I'm DJ. nodding as if I know okay. what you're talking Anyone, about. No but. one knows that, but go look it up on YouTube. <laughs> it's a very difficult scratch that I used to be very good yeah. at doing. Mm. And now I physically can't do it. But in my head, I can hear it. Yeah. In my soul, I know where it belongs and how to make it part of my expression musically. And, you know, I'm just using different ways to get to that path. But yeah, yeah. I, I don't want to like dig into that every day because it just becomes sad. And, you know, and this is just like a, a follow up question to that is that you you are absolutely right. Like ever since I've known you since I was an intern, you are someone that is a positive light. Sure, yeah, I try. And I, I, I get that it's ingrained of who you are. But what if we don't have to go into deep of yeah. like, you know, what you can't do and such. But yeah. what do you do when you when it's a day that you can't become positive? Like, 
Oh, man, those days are real. I mean, so the other side of Parkinson's is like, I mean, this is just like top, top level stuff. But like the the way that and I'm going to also clarify that the way that Western science defines Parkinson's, because I want to make sure we're clear that there's a lot of different ways of looking at the body's health systems. Mm-hmm. Right. So like if you go to like Columbia St. Mary's right now and ask someone about Parkinson's, yeah. they're going to say, well, the dopamine receptors in the brain are not triggering the way that they should. And it's causing these other physical effects in the neurological and nervous system. That is all documented science and whatever. But the lived experience is physical, emotional, right? And then the other parts of the like science is like, okay, yeah, there's the physical symptoms, but there's also the neurological stuff, which is all the stuff everybody always has to deal with with depression and anxiety is already there. But there's other layers of like, you know, some people have like, you know, uh, damiers and some people have like visions and like, things are reality gets augmented a little bit Mm -hmm. by the, your brain is not, you can't trust your brain. So like that kind of stuff, which again, I have like a admittedly, like (laughs) I have a, a little bit of a shallow depth of knowledge on this because I've chosen to not dive into Mm -hmm. the, the tree of knowledge of this because it honestly, it just makes me mad. Yeah. You don't want to overconsume you. Right. And I, you know, I, as if I'm being honest with myself, I should probably know more, but I purposefully just know what is happening in the present Mm -hmm. and how I feel in the moment. And so to fully answer the question you asked, yeah, the, the, the sadness is sadder than it used to be. Mm -hmm. The depression is more depressing than it used to be. The anxiety is more anxious than it used to be, which those things were kind of where I came into a impasse with my work-life balance, with my family balance. Like I had to change things because I couldn't bring my worst self a, I'm not going to bring it to the family. Yeah. Even though I'm safest there, that's the place that it probably is blown up the most. And then B, I can't like function in certain modes of capitalism mm-hmm. if I'm having an anxiety attack. Yeah. You know? Is there something that you wish people knew? Yeah. That's a good one. Let me think about that. Yeah. Well, there's a couple things that come to mind. I think as far as like, I just wish people knew... And I am also maybe in the group that doesn't know exactly what this is, right? But then I also wish that the word disease would be eliminated from this mm. only because of the, the the social connotations, not because it's not scientifically yeah. categorized as a disease. But like um, when you say that, people think of like, can I contract or are you sick? You know what I'm saying? Like there's something about like that contagious. word. Yeah, yeah, disease just feels like a yuck word. So I don't like to say Parkinson's disease. Uh, Is I, there a terminology that you like to use? I, I don't. <laughs> fair, fair. I don't, I don't. There isn't one. Yeah. Um, you know, Parkinson's also then has like other things like, you know, cancer and other things. It has these networks, right? Mm-hmm. These foundations and these walks and runs and yeah. Man, that stuff, I'm not going to lie. I don't want to poo-poo on anybody who's going through this, but, like, it just turns me off personally. And the reason it turns me off is because it, like, it puts us in these boxes that I hate Mm -hmm. being put in. Like, you know, I don't know. I think I have, you know, friends who've gone through cancer, and they're not public about it at all. Mm -hmm. I have friends who've gone through cancer, and they're doing advocacy work and run walks and all things. So everyone's got to figure out where they fit in. Yeah. And I could share this because it's over, but my sister had thyroid cancer and she had the same exact thought. She did not want anyone to know. Yeah. There was a lot of shame in that or just like misunderstanding. And also I think she just like didn't have the energy to like comfort other people. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Wow. You just nailed it. Like I get so exhausted by the, oh, when Mm -hmm. I say 
I was telling you this before we recorded a, a an old acquaintance and, and, you know, a, a person I respect a lot. And I, we, we reconnected recently, hadn't seen each other since pre shutdown, you know, pre 2020. And, uh, he asked me if I had broken my foot and I immediately processed the question as like, Oh, I must've been limping today. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, Oh, and I, and I was comfortable enough with him to just be straight up be like, Oh no, no, no. I didn't break my foot. I have Parkinson's. But then his reaction was, was like, oh, no, like he, you could see the embarrassment wash over his face. Yeah. You could see the, the misunderstanding wash over his face. I, I assume the only person he knows as Parkinson's is Michael J. Fox, who's at, <laughs> yeah. got, like, at the highest level of, you know, progress you could get, you know, where it's like physically uncomfortable for mm-hmm. people to see. And um, man, I'm aware of how I was uncomfortable to see these things in my own life, which, you know, it's not, I'm not ashamed. It's just real. Like I would just be as a younger version of myself, be like not repulsed, but just kind of like retract a little bit. Yeah. You know, like, Oh, what's going on? Do you have MS? Do you have, what are you, what's going on? Like, why are you shaking like that? So I guess the reason Salam, I agreed to do this is a, I have a deep level of trust for you and your abilities, but also B like this is kind of a one-way conversation, so I don't have to look at other people's yeah. face of confusion or fear. So I guess if I could leave a leaving statement, it would be like, you know, if you hear something like this from somebody and it changes your perspective on their ability or their who they are or the box that you've put them in, try to be open to be soft and neutral about this mm. stuff, right? Don't come at it with like a, oh, I have so much sympathy for you or whatever. Yeah. Like, I don't need sympathy. I just need to be. <laughs> and just respect me as a person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I and I do feel very respected yeah. in most places I walk and talk as a person and just like I uh, people take me at face value or at least I hope they do. But um yeah, I mean like and I I know for sure like I am definitely changed in how I interact with other people mm-hmm. who have different situations and dynamics whatever they might be, yeah. mental, physical, whatever, just to be softer. I've known Jordan for a large chunk of my life. And He's so great. I love him. Jordan has always been great. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you often say, you know, because great people are all around us, we'll question the universe and say, why did it have to happen to this one awesome person? Mm-hmm. And I think the lesson is that, like I said, this is a group that we can all join at any point in time. And it doesn't have to be physical. Sometimes it could just be that our brain works differently now. Mm -hmm. And we have to provide that care, that nurture, that love, and that patience with our brains and our bodies because they're connecting in a different way that we might not be able to control. And Jordan is one of those people who's so incredibly thoughtful. Mm -hmm. He's thoughtful about people in the room, people outside of that space. And even in his conversation with you, There had to be a level of trust there Mm -hmm. that he felt like he could go beneath the surface and give us a touch of what his experience was like. And it was really moving because when he brought up Michael J. Fox, that's the first thing people think of when they think of Parkinson's. And they still don't know what he goes through on a daily basis. People just assume. Mm -hmm. And Jordan is so young that people don't associate it with young bodies either. The thing for me that kind of made me check myself is if I ever was in that position where I was the person that's like, 
oh, how are you? Yes. Because I have. I've been that person. Me it's, too. It's like, well, what do you do? And it's it's on it's on us, the responsibility to shift that response. Mm-hmm. But it really, I don't know, just like to hear that really enforce, it's like, I need to do better. Yeah. I think when people are around you that genuinely love and care about you, that question is not leading. It's not intrusive in their mind. Yeah. It's showing their level of love for you. Mm -hmm. But for that person on the other end, I know I've been... I've had experiences in my life and I'm like, I just don't want people to ask me about it. Like, I just don't, I just don't want people to talk about it because I want to go through this thing and come back to work and Mm. not have to talk about it because then I have to think about it and I'm back in that space. Oh, I agree. I've even had moments where I would go through something and I don't even want to be seen. Like I don't go to an event. I don't go here and it could weigh heavy. So yeah, I've been on that flip side and on a small scale for sure. So I, I think when you say, how is everything, it, it needs to be a what's up. It needs to be that. And it doesn't need to, we have to make sure that we're not putting people in a situation where they feel like they have to right. divulge some information. Even if you're just saying, hey, how are you? It needs to sound like lighthearted. a, a lighthearted, yeah, yeah. because that's what you're essentially doing is you're speaking to them, but they could be interpreting that as a intrusive question. And sometimes it actually is. This has been such an eye-opening series. I want to thank you so much, Element, for just giving us your time and just... You're so thoughtful, and this has been so great for me to just sit here and have this a chance to have a conversation with you, and I'm pretty sure our listeners are getting a lot of value from your insightfulness. So this well, has been thank so great. You. Thank you. I, I mean, this was, for me, it was a pure pleasure to hear these beautiful stories about all these wonderful people who walk among us yeah. or roll among us or are within our city that we we, we walk past every day. Everyone has a story about their bodies. And yeah. maybe we should have more conversations where we can hear each other. Thank you for tuning in this entire month and listening to these personal stories and experiences that explore body image. If you would like to join the conversation, join us this Friday, April 28th at Marne, right here in the Third Ward at 5.30 p.m., for our wrap-up celebration, where you can have the opportunity to speak about your body and possibly meet some guests featured this month. Next week on Uniquely Milwaukee, I will be teaming up once again with Kim Shine as we talk about this year's Milwaukee Film Festival. You can check out our film recommendations ahead of time on RadioMilwaukee.org. We both recommend 10 different films. And make sure to check that out so you can join in on the experience. This is your host, Salam Pathayad. Thank you to Nate Imig, our executive producer, Kiri Salinas, our audio production manager, Brett Krasgowski is our web editor. Thank you to our marketing team led by Sarah Lar. Graphics and our wonderful logo is made by Aaron Bagata. Our community engagement coordinator is Mallory Wallace and Dan Reiner handles our social media accounts. And a big, big thank you to our city loving members for making Uniquely Milwaukee possible. If you haven't already, subscribe to our podcast and tune in next week for the next episode of Uniquely Milwaukee.